Welcome to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast, where we discuss how the gospel brings us together and keeps us together. We are your hosts, Kenny King. And I'm William Marshall, and we want to encourage Christians to think through how our lives and our churches can be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Diversity in Fellowship. We are glad that uh, you are with us this week. We have uh, an exciting guest with us. Uh, Pastor John Nelson is with us. Uh, John is currently serving uh, as pastor of Soma Church in Jefferson City, uh, and he also serves as the president of the Missouri Baptist Convention, uh, which is the convention that uh, Pastor Kenny and I are a part of, and so we are excited to have uh, John uh, with us. So welcome, brother. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for the invite. Yeah. So uh, let's just start. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how did you, your story of coming to faith, uh, called a ministry, kind of your current ministry, those types of things. So just give us a little bit of your background there, brother. Yeah. Um, so I'm a Kansas City boy, um, born and raised. I was mm-hmm. born in, on the Missouri side, lived on the Kansas side. Uh, there's always questions of where, and I answer that question, uh, where in Kansas City, by answering yes. I, I lived <laughs> everywhere. Right. Um, and so uh, I w- grew up um, next to Lansing. Leavenworth was on the outskirts of Kansas City, about 30 minutes north of there, um, and where I was one of the few black kids in our community. Um, mm-hmm. And it's mostly white country community. Uh, but my parents worked, my father worked in the, the prison system. My mom worked inner city, Kansas City, and at HUD. Um, and so we got to travel there. And actually, we went to church at Palestine Missionary Baptist Church, Jesus Christ, which is midtown Kansas City, 39th and Askew. If you know where it is, it's mm-hmm. it's a rough area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so um, I find myself very quickly um, in, in a situation where I was the, the whitest black kid at church um, mm. and the blackest uh, black kid at, at school. Yeah. Um, but then to make it even more fun, uh, my father is Jamaican. So I'm the first generation on his side. Mm. Um, and so I would spend my summers back in Jamaica where I was the American kid. Mm. Um, so I, I've always grown up in different areas where I just didn't fit. I, I never right. really fit. And I learned how to um, uh, code switch. I don't know if you guys have covered that on here, but I learned how to code switch very quickly um, between what, um, what place I found myself in. Um, and how to fit in in different ones. So almost like being a chameleon, if you may. Yeah. Um, by the time I was eight years old, I was really struggling with faith. I'm a very uh, inquisitive person. My grandfather used to make fun of me for being very inquisitive. And when I went to church, I would ask questions about, you know, how did Jonah get swallowed by a whale and stuff like that. And they would always tell me, just have faith, brother John. And that's not the way I work. My right. wife is that way. And right. I pray that my children are that way, but that's just not the way I am. Yeah. Um, and so um, my mom... Um, and, and all of her wisdom used to drop me off at the library to be a babysitter. And that, and she would tell me to read books um, and don't make any noise or I'll make one that looks just like you and get rid of you. Mm. Um, and so that was always uh, where I started reading. And I started asking the same question I asked in Sunday school in my library and I fell into reading atheistic authors as much as my little okay. brain could understand. Mm. Um, and very quickly uh, went back to church and said, I'm on their side. And so at eight years old, I declared myself an atheist. Wow. Uh, there is no God. And I started warring against the church because these guys literally reading stuff like Jean-Paul Sartre and Camus and, you know, trying to understand these guys, but understanding that they hated the church. Therefore, I wanted to hate the church um, hmm. and um, really kind of grew. So fast forward all the way until I got to college. I met this young man named Adam, who was part of a thing called Christian Challenge at Kansas State University. Knocked on my door, first week of class, said, can I come talk to you about Jesus? Which was my dream come true, because I'm a debater. Right. So I wanted to debate with them. And 
we spent four hours in my my residence hall debating back and forth over the things of Jesus. And his challenge to me was go read the Bible. My challenge was read every book I read. Um, and so we spent the next four years uh, reading every book together. And finally, in my senior year, I actually ended up reading the Bible. Um, and I remember going to him after reading John 14 and, and going, this Jesus says that he's the way and the truth. You have to be insane to believe that. And he goes, but that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a good Baptist would say that's where I came to faith, but it's not. About a year later, I was at <laughs> Westside Family Church and uh, heard the same gospel that Adam had preached, heard the same gospel I'd heard at K-State, heard the same gospel everywhere and started asking questions. And when I was 22 years old is when I, I got baptized um, and became a believer in Christ. Um, I can honestly say I can't separate my call to ministry from my call to faith. Mm. Um, okay. I think God had been preparing me my whole life sure, yeah. to be able to use my knowledge. And so he said, go use it. And uh, uh, my pastor talked me into going to seminary. And um, I didn't know I was in an SBC church until I got to the membership class. Um, <laughs> it's one of those seeker-friendly classes yeah, they didn't yes, tell you. Yes. Yeah. So they're like, oh, surprise, we're SBC. Yeah, like, by the way. How'd that happen? Mm, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> And then he took me to a, a SBC seminary where um, I had to sign a document saying that I wouldn't drink, which, you know, coming out of the, the background I came out of, I was like, yeah, I, I can't drink. What do you mean? Um, I also was a bartender and a server at the time. Oh, okay. um, so that made it fun. Yes. <laughs> mm. That's how I got my way through Midwestern. Um, I paid my way through Midwestern by bartending and serving um, wow. and just enjoying my time. There. Yeah, I know. Awesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. All right. Well, great, man. That's uh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about your church in in Jeff City, uh, Soma Church. Well, um, you know, a few years after I graduated out of Midwestern, I was looking for a place to to, to land, and I've always had this thought that I want to learn from an older, wiser minister. Yeah. Um, mm. People that have done it, and uh, Dr. Monty Schinkel, if you're familiar with him, has been at Jeff City for 20 some odd years. He was at Washington First Baptist for years before that, for 20 years before that, and has really made it through ministry without having any kind of scandals or side chicks or anything like that. That is, you know, mm-hmm. he's just done it well. Amen. And so um, I had the opportunity to learn from him. I went to go learn from him, and after my time with him, uh, he challenged me to find uh, itch and scratch it, and that itch happened to be at Lincoln University. Um, at the same time, while I was kind of struggling with that, that, uh, that call, um, my, my oldest daughter asked me a simple question. Uh, my wife is white, I'm black. And, uh, my, my oldest daughter asked me, why can't we have a church that looks like our family? Amen. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I said, baby girl, I don't know. Mm. I, I really don't know. Um, and so we started kind of praying through that and digging into that. So what would that look like? And that's what we planted Soma to look like. And so if you were to come on a Sunday, uh, depending on the Sunday, you may have gospel music, you may have hymns, you may have contemporary Christian. Um, you, you're going to see half white, half black college students from our local historically black college, people from our neighborhood. We live in the neighborhood and walk to church. Mm. Um, we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, but we don't want the Goldilocks uh, religion that we see so much um, that's pervasive in the United States. We want, it's not about you. Yes. And matter of fact, if you don't like worship, I'm okay. As long as Jesus liked the worship, I'm happy. Amen. Right. And so. Right. That's what we're constantly pressing. And so we, we try, we, we say that we are uh, um, um, a, a church that is focused on the next generation. So a multi-generation and multi-ethnic church focused on the next generation and trying to raise them up um, to be men and women that glorify God in whatever they do. Amen. Cool. Man, that's beautiful. Yeah. So um, we were at the Missouri Baptist Convention in St. Charles this past, this past year, and um, we got to witness you become the... NBC president and when they announced you as president it just felt like it was a holy moment 
Like mm. we were, I was on holy yeah. ground, um, being able to witness that. So, so what made you want to serve as NBC president? So <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was, uh, the thing that kind of really pressed it ahead. Um, uh, Monty, again, Dr. Monty Schenkel had said, Hey, I want you to serve. And so he put me on the uh, committee on order and business, which mm. just sound so exciting. I was, exa- yes. I was happy to yes. do that. Mm. Not at all. Um, mm. But I served, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm going to serve. I'm going to uh, be a part of the commission in our association and just and give where I can. And uh, we were in the NBC annual meeting in Raytown and Dr. And not Dr. But uh, Eric Greitens, our, our governor, former governor came mm-hmm. and spoke there. And he said some things as a, um, as a Navy SEAL and, you know, really just said some things in our political climate that really um, encapsulate a lot of where we are right now. And one thing that he said is he talked about kneeling for the flag. And I remember because of the order of business, we sit up front, we kind of look out on the crowd so we can run all the timers. So if you ever had a timer and you're at NBC and somebody cuts you off, it's us. Right. And so <laughs> they, um, when he said what he said, I watched so many of my black and brown brothers that were in the room, that were pastors, get up and leave. Wow. Um, mm. And it broke my heart because there's this politician that was standing in the pulpit that people were praying for and acting like whatever that saying these, 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 um, these party lines that are getting people to applaud, mm. but were alienating our brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. And yeah. I just wasn't okay with that. Um, fast forward, we, um, I got the chance to meet him. I actually invited him to my house cause he's in Jeff city. Like I am in Jeff city, but he never right. came. Um, but uh, I ended up talking to the, the NBC president at the time, Dr. Ken Parker, who actually was one of my former professors uh, and had a conversation with him and, and Dr. Muniz and a few other people's about, you know, just this was not OK and we can't do this. Um, and uh, uh, they challenged me. They said, well, then do something to change it. Mm-hmm. I said, All right, mm-hmm. I will. And uh, I, I'm much like a dog with a bone when I get something and I, I decide that this is something that needs to change. I'm going to stick with it. Amen. And so uh, that's what started my path to serve. And. Um, it has been a pleasure to be able to see the diversity that's in Missouri um, and and really reminds me a lot of my childhood. So I've enjoyed it. Cool. Amen. So what's been the uh, what's been the most maybe surprising part of being the president of the Missouri Baptist Convention? I would say by far and away, the most surprising part is um, the amount of things you have to do. Yeah. OK. Um, it It's. I'm the first president in almost 20 years to now sit on all the entity boards again. So I sit on six boards, Hmm. um, right, of all of our entities. Plus, I run the executive board and I'll run our annual meeting. Um, And every president, you know, after me will do this. Okay. Um, And so um, what's been surprising is, I mean, just it's a lot of work. And there's a lot of people to meet and a lot of hands to press. And in the middle Mm -hmm. of a pandemic, that doesn't help either. Sure, yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're doing... We're, we're, we're mending and, and we're, we're really working through a lot of bridges and a lot of hurt and pain over the last 20 years. And so uh, it's just a lot of work, a lot of reading. Man, my goodness, there's a lot of reading. Um, and I've learned, I thought I knew NBC, hmm. but then when you look at the work that is going on, I, I think of like the children's home. Yeah. Um, the, the, I could, there's a story, we're at a board meeting and they literally came in and said, we just saved this young lady from sex trafficking. Hmm. And to know that we have an arm of the Missouri Baptist Convention that literally works to get people out of sex trafficking is mm. is humbling mm. and amazing. It's yeah. not just an orphanage or an adoption care center. It is so much more. And so yeah. that that was surprising and, and really cool and, and, and great to hear. Amen. Yeah. That's yeah. good. 
So kind of along those lines, you, you talked about it, hit it a little bit, but what's been the most encouraging, most challenging part of being the president? Well, the most encouraging is that I, th- I think we're starting to uh, heal some old wounds. Uh, we're beginning to. Um, I still think that there's um, some acknowledgments or repentance that needs to happen. And I'm hoping over the next year that I can help kind of engender that with people and get them to understand where we stand on those things. Um, but it's encouraging to see the family back together for the most part. And that, that's been good mm. uh, to be able to welcome people back and say, hey, you're in. We're not against you. We're for you. Um, and had a lot of conversations, even, you know, you've probably read in the news, but SBU stuff being right. down there yeah. and realizing like we're all on the same page. Um, it's been mm. really encouraging to have some of these conversations with staff and, um, and, and, and with administration as I've had it. So that's been good. Um, challenging. I would say the biggest challenge has been old wounds. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that's hard. We've, we've fought for 17 years to bring these entities back and to be a part of it and be whole as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, I, I, I'll say it, and I know not everybody will like it, but we didn't do everything right, and neither mm-hmm. did the other side do everything right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there's places where we're going to have to be able to own up to where we messed up, um, and I think that will help heal those wounds. But I think the other part that's hard is that we have a generation now that knows nothing of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now they're wondering, what are what's all this fuss about? Why are you guys against each other? What's what's all this pushback? Well it's because of these old wounds that you don't know about. Mm. Um, and so um, that literally was the conversation I had with uh, three SBU students uh, down at SBU just the other day. Um, mm. We had lunch together and I, and I walked them through this history. And once we got through the history, they said, Oh my goodness, this all makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I said, yeah, you weren't even born yet. It had nothing to do with you. Right. Um, and so that that's been challenging is trying to educate this new generation and help them come alongside so we can move into the future as a whole. Yeah. Cool. Amen. So, in your opinion, and I know this is this is probably a hard one to to judge, but but in your opinion, how are we doing with um, diversity and fellowship? I mean, that's kind of what we call it. But but racial reconciliation. How are we doing in that in the in that regard uh, as a convention? We have uh, some massive opportunities for improvement yeah. as a convention. Um, one of the biggest opportunities that we have is that we have to learn how to be on the front end of these conversations and not on the back end of these conversations. Mm, yeah. Um, being more conservative, we tend to like to wait until facts come out, understandings come out. And I, and I, I grasp that. I'm, I'm in the same way. But being able to uh, speak truth to power and regain our prophetic voice is something that we as Baptists have, have historically had that we're starting to lose as we've paired ourselves to whatever we've paired ourselves to. And so... Right. Uh, mm. I think when it comes to this conversation, we can begin to push forward. And that's why I love, I'm leading a task force with a few pastors around the state. And I'm hoping and praying that we continue to push this conversation forward. Um, mm. The resource is there. It's just whether or not we're willing to do it. And uh, I will say this, a lot of us, it's very binary. It's black, white, right? Yeah. Um, but in the state of Missouri, we're so diverse. And so right. an example I'll give you is uh, you go down to Springfield and there are 96 people groups in Springfield. Wow. 96. Now go look at our NBC churches and tell me how many of them look like those 96. Mm. Mm. Right. Right. And so that's where we have opportunities for improvement and where we can begin to cross those socioeconomic racial uh, lines and be able to go, Hey guys, how do we, how do we uh, begin to frame this conversation um, biblically? Mm. Right. And we can talk about justice, but we can talk about it from a biblical standpoint. Yeah. Um, And so I, I think we can do better. I think we have the opportunity for improvement, and I think we can really um, 
drive there if we're willing to do the work. But that's the hard part because a lot of us live in where I grew up, right? Where yeah. we're mm. out in the country. And that's mm. the majority of our churches. 80 plus percent of us are out in the country. Um, we're not in St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, or Columbia. Right, right. right. Yet, if you go right down the street from me in California, there's a massive Hispanic community that is part of a plant, uh, a Tyson chicken plant. Mm-hmm. And so how do we reach into that that community? Amen. Right? Yeah, how good. do we reach into the Slavic community? How do we reach mm-hmm. into the immigrants coming in? Right? How do we li- reach to, I was talking to uh, a pastor friend of ours, um, uh, Jason Grubbs, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, has how his son goes the southeast uh, uh, Southeastern mm-hmm. to practice Japanese. Right. And I, and I looked at him and said, there's Japanese people in at Southeastern, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. But we have opportunities. It's taking opportunity. It's taking advantage of those opportunities and not forcing them to assimilate to who we are, Amen. Mm. but giving them opportunity to live out their culture within our culture, which is really America, right. um, which is the beauty of who we are. So that's no, what I would say. We good. have opportunities. Amen. So, so let's say we, we start to push the ball down the field a little bit and, yeah. I mean, in the future, what does that look like? Like, what is the, the picture that you have in your mind of what uh, racial reconciliation kind of achieves, kind of um, what's what's the ultimate goal here? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the, the, the question overall in our, in our country right now is like, well, we do all this. Well, what's the goal? Mm. Well, the goal is not to have a token, right? Um, and what I mean by token is I'm the, you know, somebody looks at me and goes, well, we got a black president. We're good now. We don't have racism anymore. Obama yeah. was president. We don't have right. That that's a token, right? We don't want that, mm-hmm. but we want diversity, um, that flows through everything we do. Our country is is very diverse, and so reflecting that, mm-hmm. and showing showing a lost and dying world that we can we can answer the questions that they have right now, mm-hmm. and that's really big, because right now our whole country is going well. How do we how do we deal with police brutality? How do we deal with, you know, fill in the blank of all different things, uh, um, uh, violence against Asian Americans? How do we deal mm. with these things? Right. And if we as a church can show, hey, we have the solution and that solution is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm. Now we have a stronger witness to the rest of the world, right? especially yeah. to this next generation. Yeah. Um, I would say, and I've said this publicly before, so I'm not, I'm hopefully not getting too spicy, but I would say, one of the biggest threats to the Missouri Baptist Convention as a whole is irrelevance when it comes to the next generation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, because Gen Z, or I call them coronials, but, you know, whatever they are. Um, <laughs> Gen wait, wait, Z, wait. What, what was that? Let's get that term. <laughs> what was that term again? Coronials? Coronials. I, I've, I've said it for a while now. I, I'd either say coronials or Zoomers. One of the Zoomers. two. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> You might want to get that trademarked, right? That might be something you want to write a book they, about you know, or might, something, you know. I, I might have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you when you look at generations, like I, I was reading this generational book not too long ago, and, and um, the, the question that boomers ask is what is true, right? What's right? What's wrong? And then Gen Xers, like me, um, we're, we're like, what is real? And so my students always make fun of me because I'm like, hey, come over to my house, have coffee. And they're like, Why? You know, or I'll call them on the phone because I want to hear them. That's real. It's one to one. Right. Um, And then you get the millennials that are now adults and they're saying what's good. You know, so uh, I always think of like iPhone product red. All of them bought it. And I'm like, you're not really helping AIDS research. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because they they see it as good. Right. And so when we're talking to those adults, these millennial adults, 
do they see the actions of us as a convention, as us as a church, as good in the mm, world? Right. And then for Gen Z, they're asking what is beautiful, mm. which is a hard question to answer. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. But are we answering those questions? And I know a lot of us would want to bucket and go, well, we just need to tell them what's true. That's great, but they'll never hear it. Right. Yeah. And so we have to give them the opportunity to hear it through their own generational lens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what does that look like for us? And we can become irrelevant very quickly if we choose not to engage them where they are. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I, I think that's where we can really catch, capture race and reconciliation and drive us forward as a whole. Um, and that, that's how we can get into the future well. That's good. Amen. Well, and helping folks see, I mean, it, you know, helping folks see that, just to use beauty, I mean, helping people to see that the truth of diversity and fellowship, the truth of uh, black brothers and white brothers and you know, worshiping together and loving each other, being brought together. Like there is an unbelievable beauty in that, that in mm-hmm. one sense we've, we've kind of lost, you know, uh, because of yeah. some of our division. And man, if we can recover that, it seems like that would be something that like you're talking about, the, the next generation would be like, oh, wait, there's some, there's something there that is, yeah. um, you know, that's something I want. H- how is that? Yeah. This is, um, just to kind of follow up there. How, how do you feel like that's going at your church with your relationship with Lincoln? Do you feel like college so, students uh, are really leaning into that? I think that um, it's going well. Uh, we have two types of people that come. We either have the people that are looking for what they're used to um, in the traditional black church, and we send them back to those churches. We have them in our area, and they are blessings and great churches. We love them. Um, but those that are looking for something different or maybe to explore a little bit will uh, stay put. And so uh, a lot of what we try to do is uh, we, we, we try to stretch them. And so um, you know, I had a student once tell us that we had kumbaya, wor- kumbaya worship because we had a white guy up there with a guitar, and she'd never experienced anything like that. Um, or just a couple weeks ago, we have a new guy on a soundboard and who was struggling keeping with our people. Um, they were going back and forth. They were doing more of a gospel set. And um, afterwards, I heard a young white woman who's a country girl from Eldon, about 40 minutes south of here, say, uh, mm-hmm. well, you have to understand with those girls, they're more emotive yeah. right. in their songs. And so they're going to go back and forth or hit the bridge again. And you just kind of got to keep up. Everybody kind of understands. Yeah. Now, for her, who's been in our church for the last two years to grasp that, tells me we've done our job. Yeah, that's good. That we're beginning to reach across these lines and that it's not a frustrated thing, that it's something that is seated in her soul. And she's still able to worship God through that. Um, and he's newer to our church, but he wanted to volunteer. And he, he's he's beginning to learn that also. And so it's fun that I don't have to teach those lessons, that our members are beginning to teach yeah, those that's lessons. Right. Um, and so that's where I know that we're beginning to have that impact. Um, but I will say on the flip side, um, I've been told by many a pastor, if we were to choose a side, we would grow a lot faster. And he, and they are correct. Yeah. They are. We just refuse yeah. to do that. Yeah, Amen. that's good. That's good, brother. That's good, brother. Yeah. So um, over this past year, year and a half, like we've had the uh, Brianna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, uh, coronavirus, uh, insurrection, all these different issues that have come up within our, our nation. So how has mm-hmm. your church and the NBC um, tried to navigate these justice issues as they've come up? I'll talk to my church first. Um, we, we try to hit them head on. Yeah. Um, we, we tell people constantly, um, in my household, we have to have conversations that most of you guys can avoid. Mm, right. um, so um, we're going to talk about, I'll never forget my wife and I were newly married and we were having an argument over why she trusts the police and why I don't. And my father's mm-hmm. a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that was the first time for her like a light bulb went off yeah right right and and but we had to have that discussion so we try to have those discussions in our church constantly and um, I encourage people it's on our website so go listen to them we we, we right. don't hide them we don't shy away from them we, we put it out there amen um and so that is something that is harder for us but I think it's good because now it forces you to really look at it and go okay what how what does the Bible have to say about this and how do we how do we respond from there hmm. um on the flip side um, I'm not sure that our convention has done the greatest of job and that's where we're trying that's one of those opportunities for improvement that we're trying to drive for Mm. Um, and it's hard for us because we are a large, diverse uh, convention that is really conservative, mm. um, that wants to wait um, until we have everything and then speak. But what happens on the flip side, and this this is um, this is something that's against what's going on in society and us at the same time. Our society runs out and condemns everybody and anything, right? Yeah. Um, but in doing that, um, a lot of times we condemn good people and tear them down. Right. Um, because they don't have all the facts and they don't understand. Mm. On the flip side, there are a lot of us on the conservative side that we go, we don't want to uh, speak until we have all the facts. Right. And what we've lost in the midst of that is nuance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We can speak to uh, nine minutes and 26 seconds of somebody with their, their foot on the back. Amen. Uh, you right. know, their, their knee on the back mm. and say, that's wicked. Right. Without condemning all police. Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I can go to a Black Lives Matter protest and I don't have to chant, nor do I have to respect, because again, my father is a law enforcement officer. Yeah. Mm. F the police. I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to tear down the institution my father was a part of. I refuse to do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then on the flip, we have to be able to understand both. And I think that's where our convention gets a little jittery. We don't know how to engage very well with that. Mm. And so that's something the conversations we're having on the end time and trying to get us to go, hey, how do we engage this? How do we lean in? How do we walk out there and have these good and hard conversations with society? Because we're the only ones with the true hope that can mm. solve this problem. Right. Amen. And that's good. Well, along those lines, I mean, um, you know, we I know we have some pastors who listen to the podcast. How, how would you, uh, if they're pastoring a local church uh, in the NBC, not in the NBC, but I mean, you're, they're pastoring a local church, how would you encourage uh, these brothers to to really labor for uh, diversity and fellowship, really labor for racial reconciliation? Yeah. How would you, what, what would be kind of a word of encouragement? I know that's a huge question, but what would maybe be some uh, ways to encourage them? Yeah, I here, here's a couple things I would do. Number one, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm. Um, I tell people in our church after you you're here for a couple weeks, if you're going to be with us, you're going to be uncomfortable. I'm going right. to make you uncomfortable sometime or another. Amen. Yeah. Um, and um, I I don't do that intentionally. I don't even think about it, but I know I'm going to get an email or somebody's <laughs> going to have me for coffee. It's going to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, but when you are uncomfortable, ask questions and be willing to listen. Amen. Mm. That's good. Um. Because if you're not willing to listen, you're not willing to hear, hear my heart. Um, you you want to you know cast aspersions and go, well, this person must you know fill in the blank. I got an email calling me a liberal. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Right. And I'm going. Sure. You you don't know who I am. Right. 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 I'm a. I, I literally have a, a sermon called Why Black Lives Matter, and I have one called Abort, Abortion is Murder. Right. Amen. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm on both sides of these guys. Yes. Right? They don't know so what to nuance. do with you. That's right. Right. No idea. And that's okay. Cause you know, Jesus. Yep. So be willing to listen and then be willing not to put people into camps. Yeah. Um, 
but to understand um to understand their background and where they come from yeah one of the best examples is uh, uh the guy from veggie tales uh phil Vischer. Vischer. Yeah. phil Vischer, yeah has a series of things one of the best ones he has is why do black people vote democrat right mm-hmm. And yep. people are always like, oh, black people are liberals. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. If you go back to when Obama was first elected, the reason why gay marriage was banned in California was black people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We came out in droves to vote for Obama and then said no to that. We are very conservative people, yeah. very mm-hmm. conservative people socially. Uh, but there are reasons behind it. And so there is so much nuance in this conversation, but we tend to camp out in our conservative liberal camps instead of actually uh being kingdom independence mm, yeah yes yeah that fo- that force us to actually look at what god's word says about each of, each of these issues mm. um and then the last thing i would say is when you have something that happens um there was a, a shooting the other day of a young man who um was he had a bench warrant out for his arrest which by the way happened to me a few mm. years ago here in jefferson city yeah um, my mom mm. pa- my mom passed away um, I got a speeding ticket, didn't pay it, was uh, driving along the road. A cop flipped around, said, I fit the description. Um, and uh, literally a gunpoint pulls me out of the car um, mm. and uh, throws me in jail. I, you know, longer story behind that, but mm. um, I, I hadn't paid my ticket. It was a bench warrant. It was a thing, right? right. Um, but I look at that young man who got shot just a while ago for the same thing, a bench warrant. Right. And I have to have that discussion with my, my daughter, my 12-year-old, and say, well, that could have been your daddy. Uh-huh. And be able to weep with me when I weep. Amen. Not call yeah, into question, but weep with me. Yeah. Uh, because that hurts. And it, 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 there, there, there are multiple things I could bring up. Um, why yeah. I never went to a high school dance. Um, why I didn't do a lot of things in my life. Hmm. Because of these things. Yeah. And don't just go, well, it's got to be. No, no, no. Hear me. Hear my heart. Know as a brother in Christ that I'm not trying to pull your leg. Right. And then weep with me. Um, yeah, so that good. we can begin to move forward. Amen, brother. That's a good word, brother. That's great. Uh, kingdom independence. Uh, yes. Stole like that from that. Tony Evans. Okay, Tony okay. Evans. That's a good one. I like that one. I like yeah, that. I was going to say trademark it, but trademark that one, Tony apparently, Evans. That, it's uh, already been. It's Tony Evans, yeah. Right. That's all him. Footnote. Footnote, <laughs> Tony Evans. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us about, uh, we, we, uh, every week we do a diversity um, in fellowship resource. So what's a good resource, something you've been um, reading or working through uh, that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? So my wife has, um, my, my wife knows me well. So she bought me this book and surprised me. It was right before I bought it. Um, and it's called Urban Apologetics. It's by uh, Dr. Eric Mason, who's Epiphany Fellowship. He's a Southern Baptist pastor in the urban city of uh, Philadelphia. Yes. And um, when I came to um, Lincoln University and when I go to a lot of HBCUs, I deal with issues that aren't found in traditional apologetics books. So we we don't have Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or anything like that. Um, we have black atheists, we have Hebrew Israelites, which if you've never seen them, they're kind of like the purple power Rangers of the, the King James world. Yeah. Um, mm. they're, they're weird, but they're, they're, they're but they're black militants. Yes. And so they draw young black men very well. Right. Mm. Um, and, um, nation of Islam. And by the way, these are student organizations on our campus. Right. Right. Mm. These are actual student organizations where they have said white people cannot join. Yeah. Um, um, the, the five percenters, uh, nation of God and earth. And so when I, when I went to go look for, um, apologetic resources, I could not find it because mm-hmm. these are things that happen in urban cores. Um, and, and, and so this has been a great, great resource, something that I can equip my students with and our congregation with, uh, to be able to move them forward, to be able to have an answer from God's word 
And we already had a lot of it, but just to be able to have more of an answer from God's word uh, to move them forward. So Urban Apologetics just came out really, really good. And it really is combating a lot of false teaching that's happening in the urban core and especially in the black community. Amen. All right, brother. So every week we also do a crazy question. And so oh um, we usually have a tone for it. We're going we're gonna, to uh, dismiss gonna, the tone this we're week. We're going to dismiss it this week. <laughs> All right. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. So uh, the crazy question is, if you could get tickets to any event, past, present, or future, what would it be? Hmm. Any event, any event. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with not this Super Bowl, but last Super Bowl. Last Super Bowl. Uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. Yes. And here's why. Yes. I've been a Chiefs fan mm. since I was little. I yes. remember Monty Schottenheimer ball when it was three yards in a cloud of dust. Mm. I I was at the game where they did not punt the ball and went to overtime and lost. Oh, yeah. Mm. Man. I've never seen a football game where you never punted. Right. Um, <laughs> I have heard... <laughs> And I felt like I deserved to be at that Super Bowl game. But you the did. ticket said you no, did. and yes. my wallet said no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so to be anywhere in that stadium during that Super Bowl win, yes. I, I oh my goodness. Well, we, we didn't have the funds. We did look at we looked at tickets. We didn't have the funds. Right. <laughs> you looked at them, you're like, nope, not on a pastor's salary. That ain't gonna work. I'm not taking out a second mortgage. No. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It's not gonna work. Can't not gonna do work. That. All right, Pastor Kenny, where would be uh how would you answer that one? I'm going to go future. Future. So okay. I, I want to be on the, uh, you know, Elon Musk is trying to go to Mars and yes. uh, Ooh, put yes. a settlement there. Ooh. You want some tickets? Yeah. I want a ticket to Mars, man. Look Excuse at me. you. Right. That's a good ticket. <laughs> I like it. Ticket. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll go future too. I'm a sports guy. So um, I would want tickets to the uh, final four that Tennessee basketball actually eventually makes it to. I probably have a better chance of getting to Mars. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. But see, that I feel that, your pain as a K-State fan. It would be great, right? If we ever made it to the Final Four, because the Final Four, that's my favorite sporting event. Right. And Tennessee basketball to get us there. Yeah, it might not ever happen. So anyway, well, hey, uh, uh, Pastor Nelson is great. Pastor John, we just appreciate you so much for being on the show today, being on the podcast. And, uh, man, we're just uh, praying for you. Appreciate your leadership for us in the Missouri Baptist Convention and your work there um, at the church. And so we just want to thank you so much for being with us today. Amen. Oh, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. I love listening to you. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks, our listeners. We'll We'll catch up with you next week. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to the Diversity and Fellowship podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us your questions and your comments to diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. That's diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, keep laboring by God's grace to be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ.